got friends, only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause wind is expensive. I got expensive, cause wind is expensive. I've been reading all the water. And I've been shutting out the stars. Yeah, cause when it rain and it pours. Yeah, and I'm ready for some more. Hi, and welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the Freight Sales Podcast for Closers. My name's Kevin Hill, and I'm here with our special guest co-host, Blythe Brumleaf from Brumleaf Brands, Dis- Digital Dispatch, and the Freight School Playbook. How are you doing today, Blythe? I'm doing very well. You nailed all of them, my name included. I know. It just takes practice, right? It <laughs> right. just takes I'm practice. Still a very difficult name. <laughs> Not really. I, I always wanted to say Levy, right? Instead of uh, leave. But once you know it, it becomes much more simpler. Right. It's one of those things where I'm just used to it. I've heard every different pronunciation of my name throughout the course of my life. And even my dad's name is Mike. So anytime someone yells Mike or Blythe, it surprisingly sounds very similar. Mm-hmm. So I, I've had to deal with that my entire life. So it doesn't matter what kind of, even if you use different names or mispronunciations, I'm probably still going to answer to it. You know what? I have to do every time I give my name over the phone. You, you wouldn't think I would have to spell my last name, but I always have to spell my last name. I, I think people really? just, they don't believe it's that simple. Hill, H-I-L-L. Right. I mean, it's like easy name privilege, right? <laughs> like It is. It is, but I, I don't even get that. I don't even get the easy name privilege. I, I still wow. have to to spell it out. I, it's difficult. It, it is. It is very Challenging. difficult. I know. Right? <laughs> so it is the end. We're getting to the end of 2020, thankfully. Thankfully. Hopefully 2021 will be a little bit better. Uh, but it's time now to, to switch gears, think about 2021, uh, wrap up 2020, and start doing our forecasts. We probably should have done them a, a couple months before this, but for all the procrastinators out there, let's do our forecasts, our sales forecasts for 2021. So we're going to talk about different ways to do that today with Mr. Supply Chain himself, Daniel Stanton, will be joining us here in about 20, 25 minutes to, to talk about that. And... Uh, you had a little experience with forecasting in, in, in 2020, sales forecasting, right, Blythe? Uh, a little, and I, I use that term loosely because I kind of <laughs> just came up with an arbitrary number of how many courses and how many people I thought that I would get to be able to sign up for, for Freight School Playbook. And it was one of those things where I looked back after the launch and I asked myself, where did I even base that number off of? And so I, I still don't have an answer to it. I just kind of thought, oh, 50 sounds like a good arbitrary number. So I'm looking forward to hearing from a real professional on how I should actually have structured that that thought process. And, and that's something you really can't escape whenever you have a new product. You don't really know what the, 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 the market is or the product fit in there. So it kind of has to be, you know, just a made up number, right? It's, it's got to be an abstract number that you don't really know. And sometimes it's better to, to give yourself a bigger number. You have that whole 10x philosophy, right? To give yourself a huge number so you actually do the activities to hit that number. And if you fall short, you know, half short or a quarter short, it's still better than, uh, better than you, you probably expected to begin with. 
Absolutely. And even when you're talking about a, a new product or, or, or trying to talk about a new service, it's one of those things that sometimes we get into the habit of talking about it once and then not mentioning it again. When you, In reality, you should be posting, especially to social media, multiple times per day, uh, multiple times uh, of the same message. Because with the way the algorithms work, the first time that you post it, a majority of your audience is not going to see it. And they might see it a week later. They might see it the same day, or they might see that next message that you post. So it's important to remember that just because you promote it once is not a catch-all. You really have to promote it over time, multiple times. You do. You do. So one thing about marketing and sales, repetition is good. You always want to repeat yourself. You want to, uh, as, as they say, drum it into somebody's head. You know, it has to be a nice, consistent message that has the, the right frequency, which uh, you say, what, multiple times per day posting out on social media. I, I have a question for you on this. Is it, can you supplement some of those original posts with comments and using other people, the, the content other people are producing and posting and running with that and giving kind of a, a value add spin on it? Absolutely. I think one specific case study or, or, or example that I can give is, and it's really the only social media platform that allows for this, is TikTok. Whenever you post a video and you're talking about a certain topic, anybody who comments, you can reply directly to that comment with a video in a new post. So I'm sure that there are ways that you could replicate that on platforms like uh, LinkedIn, for example. If somebody makes a really well-rounded comment, then you could have these sort of side discussions and then post post a recap video of that discussion, summarize it, and then either post it as original content or as a reply for the rest of the audience to see. Because with LinkedIn in particular, they really value the, the, the commenting section. And so if you can find a way to find multiple opportunities in that section, then I think that you're, you're going to, to be well rewarded as far as that post performance and the overall awareness. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I finally found LinkedIn for us, live on LinkedIn. It's always an adventure sometimes whenever I go in <laughs> here and try to define this. I, I need to write down set procedures and rules for this. But but Rhonda Bumsera uh, Zimmerman is on here. And she says, it's, uh, it's been a year that forced time out for the rest. Reset our priorities for sure, Kevin Hill. And I feel you brought Blythe. And we also have William Rufu, uh, Canadian Transportation at Amazon. Good morning to you, too. And John Lavrieve from Rate Hall. And Push Transit, Lisa Rodriguez and Dane Adams are all joining us. Thanks for watching, everybody, on Put That Coffee Down. Let's, uh, let's jump into it. And, and thanks, uh, you know, first of all, thanks to Salesforce for the sponsorship. Uh, you know, the, 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 the cloud-based CRM and more than a CRM these days, uh, there are a full suite of services. So uh, thanks again for that. But let's talk about marketing. Let's talk about let's someone called Mr. Beast. And if you can fill in the backstory of who this YouTuber is, Mr. Beast, Blythe. So Mr. Beast started on YouTube at 12 years old, just making, you know, sort of funny videos. He was a streamer. So he started playing different video games, Call of Duty, Minecraft, and just streaming his experience playing those games on YouTube. And he wasn't finding that much success. And then he started really treating it as a business. So he would study with other, he would study other YouTubers, uh, network with YouTubers. They would try to figure out the formula and try to, to, to hack the algorithm 
algorithm, as they say. And so he had an idea for a random video one day, and he decided that he was going to film himself counting to 100,000. So he films this video, and that's the video that finally, years later, helps his profile take off. So since then, he's amassed millions of followers on YouTube. Uh, he really sort of, his messaging is to always invest back into his business. So he started securing partnerships de partnerships deals with companies like Honey, um, which is the browser plugin that helps you save money on various different websites. And so with him in particular, he started using these opportunities to invest back into his business and then also invest in higher quality videos. So using that mantra, he's developed this massive profile. And just recently this week, he launched using ghost kitchens all around the country, Mr. Beast Burgers, and basically told these ghost restaurants, this is what we're going to serve. This is how we want them made. You can use Postmates, you know, Grubhub, all of these different delivery apps in order to get a Mr. Beast Burger. But what I thought was brilliant is that he filmed the reactions of the crowds coming through his the, the, the location that he was actually at and these cars were backed up for miles in order to get a free burger which he in addition was also throwing in stacks of cash like stacks of one dollar bills and a hundred dollar increments he was putting in with every single burger so not only were people getting free food they were getting free money so that caused like traffic to back up by about 20 miles and it resulted in a ton of new awareness for his new business that he's he's joined into his new venture. And it's also amassed into more millions of followers and millions of fans and just watching some of the reactions from people who are getting, you know, a stack of cash right before the holidays, especially maybe people who have been out of work. It, you could really see the enjoyment on their faces and it's, it probably cost him maybe half a million dollars, but it's the ROI from that marketing campaign and just giving people money is really the ethos of how he's gained popularity. Because he was, it's not just the money that he was giving out, it was AirPods, iPads, and this is just a history of him giving away free products and investing back into his business. And it's, it's really paid off in the long run. So, so before I get to the hamburgers and Mr. Beast hamburgers, yeah, are you saying, and I, I don't know too much about Mr. Beast, so his most popular and what really made his fame is him counting from one to 100,000? <laughs> is, 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 yes. is that what you said? <laughs> yes, that is how he gained notoriety or, or I guess a massive scale of no, notoriety is he literally counted to 100,000 on a video and that was the one that took off for him. And so because of the way YouTube's algorithm works, the, where you get the majority of your views is in the recommendations bar in the autoplay. So you, you could be watching any video on YouTube and the autoplay that's going to come up next is where you get the majority of your views. So he's done a lot of work into even studying like, what kind of titles work the best, um, creating your hook in the first 30 seconds, uh, using a specific kind of thumbnail for your video, all factors in into how you're placed in that recommendation algorithm. So that that has really been the key to his success, but it started off like a snowball effect with this video of him counting to 100,000. That's insane. I, I, that, that's how you can't really predict vir, vir, virality, I, I suppose, for, for posts. So here's a question for you, and I have my answer, but I want to hear your answer first. Quality over quantity. 
You know, I, I know we all want, want very good quality social media posts or, or videos, uh, but what's really more important, especially when you're starting out, quality or quantity? I would say, I'm going to probably get crucified for saying this, I can't pick one or the other. I think it has mm -hmm. to be a combination of the two. And when you have a random idea like that, uh, for example, I, I did a TikTok that that got that went viral and it got over 500,000 views and it's still cracking up views. But all it was is I ordered a product off of Amazon. I filmed myself unwrapping it and putting it, it was a, a, a a screen that you put and you hook onto your chair mm -hmm. and it creates a blurred background for you. So instead of getting those kind of cheap backgrounds that uh, cheaper looking backgrounds that other companies might have in their videos, this is just a straight background. So you can kind of blur out your, whatever you got going on. Maybe it's a dirty house. Maybe you got kids, <laughs> you know, remote learning. Um, so it basically blurs that out for your meetings. I did a quick 15 second video on this and that's the one that took off not the videos where i put a lot of insight into and and and, and put a lot of research into which i still i still think you should do but it was that quick video that took off. And I think that that sort of goes back to the lesson of is that you can't think too much about it. Just create, make it good, but don't put too much effort into it where a lot of marketers will say that you should spend 20% of your, your marketing process on the content creation and 80% of your time on the actual distribution of that content. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. The twenty percent and eighty percent, maybe it isn't quality over quantity. It is just going out and doing it. You know, doing right. it, not not putting a lot of a lot of thought or preparation into every single thing you do. Not not ha not making sure that everything you do is perfection, because you know, if someone can get, if someone's claim can, claim to fame can be him going from one to a hundred thousand, just counting then sometimes you don't have to put a lot of thought. Just go do it. Just go do it. Have fun with it. And if you do that all the time, you know, that frequency that you're talking about on social media posts, uh, you will gain traction. You'll gain an audience, a following, an email subscription list, uh, whatever method that is. Uh, you'll find it if you put out a lot of content, make it as good as possible, but you, you don't necessarily have to spend a lot of time preparing and, and writing it. Sometimes uh, three sentences work much, more, much better than, uh, you know, a thousand words. And it goes back to sort of the mantra of if you wait until something is perfect, you waited too long. Yes. And so from, from that perspective, I, I think, especially when we're creating content, sometimes we have a habit of getting in our own heads and thinking this isn't good enough when you should just be hitting publish. It, it sounds very simple, but it's also very difficult. And it's very hard to sort of get past that, that mental barrier where just publish it. If you feel good about it, publish it. And, and I think that that is sort of the biggest lesson that I give to other creators is just hit publish. Yeah, that, that is the, the best thing. Just, just hit publish. Just go do it. Don't, don't think about it too much because you're not going to be perfect. You don't know what you're doing a lot of times, especially at first. So why even worry about, why, why even worry about knowing what you're doing? Just figure it out as you go. And, and right, and let the audience tell you. Yeah, and, and, and that brings us up to the, 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 the next question, kind of revolving around Mr. Beast, because he has this huge presence, and then he went out and did ghost kitchens, which if you don't know what ghost kitchens are, they are industrial spaces where sometimes it's basically outsourcing a menu and someone preparing food and selling it under your brand. It's, it's almost like private label 
for uh, the de food delivery market. So to be, to be able to, to make such a big splash, you have to have a following to, to begin with. So what is more, most important to develop? That following, um, those eyeballs, that audience, that target market, whatever you want to call it, or an actual product? I think it's more difficult to develop an audience, but I don't know that you can develop a product without knowing what the audience thinks. So if you're out there trying to develop a product, the market research is going to be invaluable for you. And you're going to have to rely on other industry influencers that are already in the space that already have that built in audience in order to promote your product. But you really have to know that audience and you have to spend a lot of research time. So I'm personally a fan of building an audience first, finding your voice. And then after you're having those conversations with people, then it's much easier to monetize that audience in the future through, through different products and different services that you offer. I'm in total agreement with you. That's my thought too. I think one of the reasons why we both have that same answer is that we've launched products before. Right. And we've sometimes learned the hard lessons of why it's mo more important to have an audience before you have a product. Right. So I talk to a lot of people all the time that they want to start their own businesses. I'm sure you do, too. And it's the same story. I don't I don't really have a product. I, I can't really think of a, a really good product to go to market. Uh, that, that doesn't mean you can't start your your business now. I mean, start building up an, an audience with generating content wherever you generate content and however you do it. Do that right now. Build up an audience before you even know what you want, what product you want to sell. Because oftentimes, people will tell you exactly what they want that they can't find, and it's going to revolve around the content that, that you're putting out. So there's your product right there. Um, I, I know a lot of people who, you know, especially a lot of inventors uh, who have patents, and they get their patents. They spend so much money designing a product. And they don't really know if there's a product fit there, but they don't have an audience to sell to. And it might take you three years to, to really invent something. It might take you five years to build up an audience and enough sales to, to really have a viable business. And it's one of those things where, where building a product is, I, I don't want to say it's the easy part because there's so many intricacies involved, but building an audience, the audience will tell you exactly what they like and what they don't like. So you mm -hmm. can use that as your market research. Uh, Twitter is a great example of this where you can go direct to a lot of people. I've secured a, a, a lot of feedback and information and even interviews and contacts with people just by DMing them on Twitter. And so it's one of those things that you have these tools at your fingertips to use for your product research. So before you ever get down that road of, of investing a lot of time and energy and money, use that time instead to find out what the audience really wants, what problems you could be solving. And even you could do it through surveys, you could do it through one-on-one -on -one phone calls. These are opportunities that you can talk directly to your potential buyers and they'll tell you if something is useful or not, if they find a fit for the for that product in their workday. Because I think that that's where we really have to start thinking about the attention-driven economy and how we have to 
find a way to make our products fit within the workday or people's off time. Because we're, we're as as creators, as marketers, we're not just competing with you know direct competition. We're creating with we're, we're competing with Netflix. We're create we're competing with Disney Plus, um, the Kim Kardashians of the world. That's we're in an attention driven economy, and you have to make sure that your product can capture that attention, not just from a marketing perspective, but also from a use perspective. Because if they're not using it, then it's not going to last very long either. I, and that, that's one of the guarantees in life is that, that your customer or the end user is going to tell you what they think of your product. And they're going to be very honest about it. <laughs> Which I is mean, a good thing. I, I think I, some of my some of my ideas for, for 2021 coming through is direct feedback mm -hmm. from people who have purchased from me in the past. So they are structuring how I'm going to offer products and services in the future based directly off of their feedback. And that's the best way to design products is directly from feedback, is to throw out something that is not, not perfect whatsoever and get the feedback from it because the people who believe in it, people who, who see the, the idea or the dream and want to utilize that product just the same way you do are going to, to continue to buy in and they're, they're going to love being part of the process. Absolutely. People love to see the behind the scenes of how a product is being made, how it comes to life. And if they can have a hand and they almost feel like that they have an investment in that product as well. And, and when they succeed, they almost feel like they're a part of that success as well. Mm -hmm. And they are. They, they definitely are. I got Jason mm -hmm. Eichert here um, saying just hit publish on the, on the content, and the, 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 the posting on, I guess, quality versus quantity. Just hit publish. Definitely, if you need, you can always go back and edit, but get it out there. Don't think too much about it. Analysis by paralysis is what I think they call that. Christina Fernandez uh, from HelloFresh. Keep it simple, stupid. Never sounded so right. I agree with you, Christina, on that. Uh, something that in, in marketing you have to do. I, I see a lot of jargon. I see a lot of complexity everywhere, but you have to keep it simple. And that, that kind of takes us to our next segment, Blythe. And... Talk about simple, how about KFC? <laughs> so KFC had, and, and this is, goes to uh, sort of talking about really good marketing, and, and we sort of dream of having a campaign go, be as well received as KFC's campaign over in Japan back in 1974, because they ran a campaign, which in Japan, they, they, they celebrate Christmas. I did not know this, but they celebrate Christmas. It's more of a romantic holiday for a lot of people who live there, and they go to Tokyo Disney land, which is decked out in Christmas gear. People put Christmas lights up. Uh, but the tradition that KFC started is that a marketing manager or an owner of the first KFC franchise in Japan came up with an idea about talking about, you know, people huddling around barrels. And, you know, everybody knows that the barrel of chicken that you get from KFC. And so he started this marketing campaign and it was so successful that they took it nationwide in 1974. And since then, generation after generation, of Japanese families have celebrated Christmas by going to KFC and ordering a bucket of chicken. It's become so successful that KFC now has pre-orders for their meals. They have meals ranging anywhere from $35 to $55 for family-style bucket of chicken, but it has become a tradition for Japanese families to eat Kentucky Fried Chicken on Christmas Day, and I just think it just speaks to the brilliance of finding a void and filling it. And that's exactly what this marketing that this marketing guru came up with. And he eventually became the chairman of KFC over all of Japan 
probably based off of this idea that he had years ago. I, I would imagine it is based on this idea. Uh, and and uh, it sounds crazy, right, to, to us, right? You know, KFC on Christmas. But if you look back, I mean, I, I, I remember Cinco de Mayo wasn't that big of a holiday 20, 30 years ago uh, as, as it was. I mean, I, I can't really remember, especially as a kid, you know, no one really talked about Cinco de Mayo. But, but now it's a huge right. holiday that, that we've taken. Um, and it's not necessarily the, the same celebration as, as they would have in Mexico. Yeah, and it's one of those things that that's funny that he sort of hit the nail on the head when he said that, you know, you just got to find a void and fill it. And for American traditions, if you were to bring a bucket of KFC chicken to Christmas dinner, you would probably get laughed out of the home, maybe not invited back to next year's <laughs> Christmas. That's how sort of, I guess, faux pas it is to have KFC on Christmas Day in the U.S. But because that void was was missing over in Japan, KFC created created this tradition and and sort of uh, they didn't mean to but now it's had a lasting impact based off of one little small franchise KFC location in Japan and now the entire country celebrates it you should see some of the images from it there's people lined out the door on Christmas day waiting to place their order for KFC fried chicken and I think I got from this article, and we were talking about it just a second ago, you know, uh, you know, the, the quantity versus perfection. I, I'll call it quantity versus perfection instead of quality, uh, is mm. that this was rolled out. I mean, it came to, to that person in a dream almost, right? And that they, you know, how, how you get this inspiration, you just uh, jump out of bed and start writing something down. And I'm sure that, that first in 1970, for that one location, that there wasn't a, a lot of, you know, preparation and planning put into that it was like Let, let's do it let's let's do it and see what happens yeah he called it a party barrel so i've never yeah. even heard that <laughs> phrase when it comes to a bucket of chicken so the, the party barrel and and what i really loved is at the end of the story he said that people have started familiarizing the brand with family. And so that's really when you, it boils down to it, Christmas is about family. And this is just, this places a small part of it, but we really, for any holiday, it's about gathering around the table with loved ones, with a particular kind of food. And it, KFC did a brilliant campaign and back in the 70s that still resonates with people today because they connect the brand with family and having those good memories on Christmas Day. And the more I think about it, like the hungrier, hungrier I'm getting, and maybe this, you know, the year of 2020 has been filled with craziness and, and stuff like that. So maybe this is the year to form your own new traditions and, and we could take a lesson from KFC in this regard. We, we definitely can. And Eric Serta says he, he missed the first 20 minutes. What are you doing, Eric? He thought we were on vacay. <laughs> There's no vacation around here. We work every single day here at Freight Waves. I do. So uh, keep, keep tuned in. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, you know, it's just a simple idea that that anyone can roll out for, for anything. I, I think a lot of the holidays we have, you know, I, I'm thinking like Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, though they're really more commercial holidays that people, you know, started. And there, there's a, a famous one, I can't think of it, but I think Mother's Day was another one that, that started as a commercial, uh, you know, commercial holiday that was uh, basically created by the, the floral industry, uh, De Beers. De Beers and Diamonds and, mm -hmm. and Scarcity is something that the, the marketing team kind of uh, rolled out over the years to, uh, to frame in our minds. 
And there's also, I think up north, they celebrate what's called uh, Sweetest Day, which is sort of like Valentine's Day, but it's in October. Like it's in the fall, mm -hmm. but they celebrate Sweetest Day and it's the same sort of mantra as Valentine's Day. So uh, you can kind of make the argument, oh, you know, corporate America is just trying to get us to spend money. But there are ways that you can celebrate a holiday, celebrate a loved one. And perhaps, you know, it takes these holidays to remind us to take a step back from the hustle and bustle of everyday life and just really appreciate what truly matters in life. And, and I think that that's, you know, the, the, the good side of where you can take, you know, that, that corporate uh, monetary evil businesses just trying to take your money. You can take a, a good aspect of it out of it that this is really just about spending time with family, spending time with loved ones and, and use that as an opportunity. You don't have to spend money, but use it as an opportunity to, to take a step back and really appreciate the things that matter most in life. Yeah, that is definitely. And, and speaking of that, that's a really good segue again to our next talking point here. And that is uh, a marketing program on Instagram that you, um, you told me about a couple days ago. Uh, can you explain that a little bit, Blythe? It's, it's actually an advertisement. So oh, I, okay. I, I keep track of different advertisements that I see online because I, especially if they're good ones, if they're called, you know, thumb stop worthy content, um, specifically on Instagram, because I feel like the ads on Instagram are really well done because they, they're very targeted and you can argue about the ethics of the privacy um, concerns in that regard, but the ads are really good. So I've been saving a lot of really good ads that I come across. And one of them that I came across um, was a, a an account called Humans of New York. And I'm sure lots of people are familiar with this account, but what they, what they essentially do, it's a photographer. He started years ago. He walks around New York City. He finds interesting people um, and he, you know, just people watches and then he will find somebody interesting and he will go up and do a quick interview with them, find out their story, take a few photos of them and then share that story to Instagram. He's done this for so many years that now he's able to make a book out of all of these stories. And it, it sort of goes back to our earlier discussion of building an audience first before you develop, before you develop a product. And this is a great example of this gentleman building an audience, telling those important stories, not monetizing it yet until now where he has a book and he's using those stories to sell the book that has more of those stories. And so I, I thought it was just a really great approach to product marketing when you already know your audience and it's already built in to, to, to be able to have success with a product sale like this. It really goes a long way as far as a storytelling perspective and proving that it can be done. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a flywheel. So, so it's a flywheel. You, you add in different ingredients, different channels, and blend them all together and use those channels to promote what you just blended together. It's kind of coming up with a product with a, an audience, right? You, you find out what's working and what people will uh, purchase uh, on, on the book side, right? And, and it's a simple monetization after that. Absolutely. And he even has like built in data to tell him what stories that he should be putting in the book. Obviously, all of the stories that have the most comments, the most likes, those are the ones that people are most interested in. And so those immediately are, are probably already put into the book. And he's also setting himself up for multiple book releases in the future. So not just this one, uh, but several in the future to come. 
it's really really fascinating how you can translate this if you're just uh, if you are a salesperson right and not really trying to to mass market or or put together the, this huge audience uh, everything that we're talking about on audience can be transcribed or, or translated into uh, your your pipeline your funnel right your your audience or the the prospects that you have in your sales funnel that you're putting into your sales funnel and the broader that is the the more they're connected to you the easier it is at the end of the day to to close new deals, sign new letters of intent, move more loads. And I think it sort of points back to with certain audiences, you may look at them and say, oh, well, they have millions of followers. Of course, it's going to be easy for them to sell a product. When we just saw an, an influencer over the summer launched a clothing line and she sold mm -hmm. nothing. So it sort of goes back to that. You really have to know your audience and you might have a lot of followers, but if you're not really speaking to them and selling to them and listening to them, then your sales are still going to fall flat. So it's one of those things that you may look at your numbers and you may only see, oh, well, I only have, you know, a few hundred followers or a few thousand followers. How am I going to be able to monetize this? If you are actively listening and building your audience, then you know what product is going to help them the most. And I would rather have 200 people that are dedicated than 200,000 that don't really know that my products exist. So it's not really about vanity metrics. I think it's really about focusing on your audience and listening to what they want and their feedback. Yeah, we can ask the same question that, or a slightly different question, like like we did before. What's more important, um, quality or quantity, or perfection or or, or 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 quantity, and and translate that into you know on on the follower side or the engagement side or the audience uh, side, you know what's more important, engagement or the the number, the the quantity, right? Engagement versus quantity, and I think we're both going to say engagement because engagement is what is the only thing that does matter right the likes the shares the the, the comments it, actively looking at those numbers and seeing what draws the most interest of whatever you're posting and there are so many different variables that are involved what kind of picture did you post what kind of video did you post what type of what time of day what on what day and and what was the caption and and what was the CTA so sometimes it's not even about the the graphics and the creative that you use it's about the the, the CTA that you wanted the the action for the audience to take. And so you really have to test everything and be paying attention to everything. Sort of goes back to our earlier discussion of, of Mr. Beast. He had already had millions of followers, but he is still actively looking at mm -hmm. what is performing the best. And it's it's getting those reps, it's practicing, paying attention to the market and seeing what is resonating most with people. That's how you're going to find success over and over and over again. It doesn't stop, it just keeps going. Yeah, and it goes back to influencer, I think, a designer line. And you see that quite a bit, you know, a lot of Instagram and, you know, Twitter, you know, that they do a lot of designer lines. But if those are vanity followers, uh, a designer line is a dime a dozen. You know, there's no real differentiation. It's, it's more of a commodity unless it's designed specifically for your audience that is engaged and they're telling you what they want to buy.
Absolutely. I, one uh, podcast host comes to mind that she had a famous split with her host over the summer and she launched her own podcast and merch store at the same time. And she sold out immediately because she she had built in fans already, mm-hmm. already knew what they wanted based off a of previous experience. And she was able to monetize that audience, whereas you have another influencer that just fell flat on her face. And so you have to call into question the authenticity of that audience. Did she buy fake followers? Mm-hmm. Uh, Did she get those vanity metrics that maybe were important, you know, one time in the past? So, you know, a lot of corporate executives, they will see social media and they will think, oh, well, we have to have X amount of new followers by this date when that doesn't matter at all. It matters if you have the right followers and you're building the right audience. You really have to take away the blinders when it comes to vanity metrics and understand from an engagement perspective what is resonating. Exactly right. And here's uh, Jeff Billman from... Microdia, 100% involvement from your early adopters or adopters support involvement from your early adopters is so valuable. So uh, I couldn't agree with you more, Jeff. And you know who else has a huge following and audience on social media and and just all over the place, Blythe? Oh, I think uh, I think I know who this is. I'm not exactly sure, but he's he's slightly famous in the world of supply chain and logistics. He's got a good nickname, too. I, I think you always need to have a good nickname. So let's, let's welcome on Mr. Supply Chain, Daniel Stanton, on to the show. How are you doing today, Daniel? Hey, guys. How are you doing? Doing, I'm great. doing great. I'm doing great. How are you guys? I, Very we're well. Doing, Fantastic. You know, we're, it, we're, it, it, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it's um, it, it's the end end of year, and and that means it's time for me to sort of um, work th- through organizing my books and figuring out what I need to keep and what I need to get away get get rid of. Um, and you just reminded me of um, one of my favorite quotes from from Dale Carnegie, which is, "Give a dog a good name," right? That's the and, <laughs> and, and so I feel like you know that's the, the key here is it, it's all about the name. It's all about the name. It um, is. I got to tell you guys, I've, 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 I've been tuning into the show. I've been listening. Great conversation. I feel totally out of my depth because you guys are like talking about sales and social media and you're saying really smart stuff. And like, um, I, I totally don't see myself as a, a social media salesperson. I just, you know, mm-hmm. kind of feel like I'm a nerd who, who sees the whole world through a lens of supply chains. And I can kind of keep a journal on LinkedIn and Twitter and other people like read along. And that's just sort of works. You know, there's kind of a tribe of folks that are interested in that. Um, so I got to pay attention to the, the stuff you guys are sharing because because maybe I can figure out how to monetize this and, and make sure that I'm including a CTA and good stuff for, uh, for optimization. <laughs> You're exactly right, but you know what? Social media is for for supply chain nerds as well, as we all prove on this show. So it is all all good. So I, let me introduce Mr. Supply Chain uh, properly here. He's a best-selling author of Supply Chain for Dummies, which just has a, a new second edition that is sitting on my desk right here. He's also a Udemy. I, I think oh. I'm pronouncing that right. Udemy instructor and LinkedIn Udemy, learning instructor. It would, how do you pronounce it? Mr. Supply Chain, how do you pronounce it? Well, maybe. I think it is Udemy. 
I, I, okay, so Udemy. So Udemy, I think we might have lost uh, Mr. Uh, Supply Chain just for a second, uh, but that's okay. Uh, and he has three master's degrees, and he's an expert three. in <laughs> three. I know, MIT, Harvard, and I can't think of the third one. You know, just, just, you have yeah, just, just bottom of the barrel degrees, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you just show <laughs> up and they, they give you something, right? <laughs> but but so, yeah. I think so, he was also stationed in Jacksonville, too, uh, when he was in the military. He, he shot me a message yesterday and let me know that, that he was stationed in Jacksonville for a little while um, from 94, I think, until 97. So he was able to witness the birth of an NFL team to a city because the the Jaguars got to I got to sneak in the Jaguars somehow, I know, right? but the Jaguars got to Jacksonville we were awarded the team in 93 and and they started playing in 95 so it, it's a unique opportunity to see how the the economic impact of what happens to a city when they are given an NFL franchise did you ask him if he's a Jaguars fan uh well, the <laughs> irony of that is the Jaguars and the Panthers got their franchise in the same year. They did. It was uh, both part of the expansion deal with the NFL. Is is so, both of the both Charlotte and Jacksonville were awarded in '93. Yeah, and and I, I think uh, you live in in Charlotte, North Carolina now, right? Well, I, I think we had we had Mr. Supply Chain on for a second. <laughs> But well, for a second, he, was, he just had to comment on I, the Jaguars, and then he left. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so well, let's talk about forecasting, Blythe. Let's talk about it. 2020, I, I think we... Can you hear me now? I, I can hear can you, you now, hear yes. Now? Yes, you have the floor. Okay. So I was, I was just saying the, the irony is the Jags and the Panthers got their franchise at the same time. So I was in Jacksonville when the, the, the Jaguar started, and I now live in Charlotte. So I'm absolutely not allowed to be a, a Jaguars fan anymore. Oh, but you're part of Cat Team Brotherhood. We're, <laughs> we're all cat teams around here. <laughs> so maybe on the side you could support us. We, we, we right now have the number one pick overall going into next year's draft. So hopefully that, that'll result in, in uh, better successes in the future. But you just got done writing the, what, the second or the, the third edition of Supply Chain for Dummies. Is that correct? Correct. Second edition. Second edition. So we, we did the first one in uh, 2017. And, um, you know, one of the things in the, the book is, is I, I really went out of my way to, to name names and, and to highlight the companies and the technologies that are, that are driving change. And, and it's incredible. On the one hand, it was really useful, and the book has been super popular. But when I sat down and I, I looked at it in 2020, how much has changed in just three years? Right, so it was totally time to to do an update and to do a second edition. A lot of stuff on the technology side, you know, you think about things like supply chain control towers, um, and you know, some of the big mergers and rebranding, JDA becoming Blue Yonder and and whatnot, uh, E to Open. Um, but then, supply chain risk management has become all of a sudden a really hot topic, which was a much smaller section before. And um, the education options have just exploded, right? New certification, new ways to study. And so um, 
yeah, we, we were able to, to, to do a, a second edition, update all of that stuff so that it's fresh and current. And it hit the shelves December 15th. So it, it's, it's out there uh, now for, for anybody that, that wants it. Congratulations. Okay, and we are going to give away a copy of that. I have it right here on my desk. At the end of the show today, we gave one away, I think, last week, too. So we're going to go back to back with the uh, supply chain for dummies. So, um, Mr. Supply Chain, uh, I, we're in freight. This is a freight sales podcast. We're always looking and, and researching out how corporations, you know, major companies, you know, mid-market companies forecast their logistics spent, and I'm sure that's tied to their sales revenue. And can you walk us through how most companies go about their forecast? It's a great conversation, Kevin. And, you know, as we were kind of talking about this, and I was, was thinking about it in it ahead of time, right? We're in the freight waves world, we're always talking about shippers, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, they're the ones that, 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 spend the dollars that, 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 are, that are driving the business. But the funny thing is, if you go and, and ask a shipper, what do they do for a living? There's not one of them that'll say, oh, we, we make our living by being shippers, right? <laughs> yeah, they, exactly. They're manufacturers, they're distributors, they're retailers. And, and I think, you know, for me, that's the, the place to start is to recognize sort of what is their business versus, you know, what is our business if, if we're a transportation company? And, and there's a lot of similarity, but obviously we're at different places in the supply chain. So, you know, in the transportation world, we've got capacity and we're trying to optimize that capacity, use that capacity as much of it as we can, as smartly as we can and avoid waste. Well, that's what manufacturers are doing too. But, you know, their capacity, instead of being trucks and ships and containers and airplanes, their capacity is manufacturing equipment. Right. And, and so the mm -hmm. way that they utilize that capacity is by getting raw materials in and running them through the process. But but the challenge is, on the one hand, you you want to utilize as much of that capacity as you can. On the other hand, you don't want to make stuff that people aren't going to buy. You don't want to move stuff that people aren't going to buy, because then, you know, what, what you're actually doing in supply chain terms is you're taking something and, and moving it to a, a higher value state. You're putting work into it. You're spending money on it. And, and if it doesn't sell, that means you've wasted more money, right? So you're always trying to keep things at the lowest value state. And so what, what shippers do, whether that's a manufacturing company or, or distributing company, is, is they try to look at the sales forecast and they try to build a, a production forecast or a distribution forecast to meet that. And so um, it, it, a lot of times we'll talk about that as sales and operations planning, SNOP, or in some cases they'll talk about it sales inventory and optimization, opti uh, excuse me, sales inventory and operations planning, SIOP. But, but very often for companies, this is like a, a monthly process where the sales folks come to the table, right? And I love sales folks, but they're, they are optimistic to the point that very often but they say they're going to sell. And then the operations folks come to the table and they say, well, this is what we can actually make. 
and, and the numbers are different. So that's what SNOP, the sales and operations planning is all about, is to, to get the sales folks and the operations folks to agree on one number, right? Um, and then the sales folks have to beat that number, right? Because if mm -hmm. they go too high, what's going to happen? You don't have product. And yep. if, if, if the sales folks come in too low, well, then you end up with, with extra inventory and waste. What are some of the common pitfalls that companies are facing whenever they are creating their sales forecast for the following year? Like, how, how could a company actually prepare for a year like 2020? Right. Well, and ask, the, ask the toilet paper folks, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that, that is so much of the challenge is, um, you know, how do you, how do you guess? Because that's all we're doing about what, future sales are going to look like. And really, I mean, there are kind of two approaches to it. One is uh, a, taking a quantitative approach, which is you look at the, the statistics, you look at what you've sold in the past, and you try to turn that into probabilities, right? So everything that we sold was sort of in this range. So we've got a 95% confidence that we're going to sell this much next year. Those quantitative forecasting methods actually there's a, a lot of what's happened in the last few years on the technology side has been focused on that, using artificial intelligence to do that quantitative analysis. The other kind of forecasting is qualitative analysis, and that's really judgment. And, you know, it's just, well, we're, we're introducing a new product. We think this one is going to be fashionable. We've got the right social media influencers supporting it, right? And so you're, you're using human judgment to create those qualitative forecasts. The truth is neither the quantitative nor the qualitative is perfect. None of us has a crystal ball. And that's, that's where you get paid the big bucks is to make those decisions about how do we plan and how much of a risk are we going to take. I'll throw in, though, the other thing that we really learned in 2020 is um, so there's this old saying, the first law of forecasting is the forecast is always wrong. We just know that. Um, it, it's a guess. It's the best guess. We can use evidence to try and support it. But at the end of the day, what's going to happen is going to happen. And so while it's good to have a forecast and there are absolutely processes that we should put in place to improve and manage forecasting, we also need flexibility. We need to be able to identify and respond to risks, whether that's to the upside or the downside. Um, because, you know, things are going to change. So true. So true. The, the risk analysis and, you know, all forecasts are wrong, but, but you have to use forecasts. You have to have uh, goals and, and budgets. So we, we are, we're freight salespeople. We sell freight and freight tech and, and things like that. So how can we go into, uh, I won't say shipper, but a retail, CPG, automotive, you know, oil and gas company, and have an intelligent conversation about uh, that customer or that company's, you know, budget and what they're looking at uh, on logistics. What are some great questions to, to lead them down with? So, you know, I think transportation um, and especially, you know, we'll talk about domestic truckload, right? Because I, I think yes. that's most of this this conversation. Um, everybody wants everybody on the shipper side wants it to be a commodity, right? 
Mm -hmm. Commodities are great because everybody just bids against each other and you get the lowest <laughs> possible price. One of the things that, that we really learned in 2020 is um, two things. Uh, one, uh, capacity matters, right? Availability matters. Yes. So even if it is a commodity, if you don't have access to that commodity or if the market is going to fly all over the place on you, um, that puts your whole business at risk, right? If you can't move your product, if you can't move your equipment, um, then then the fact that it's a commodity actually really works against you. So I, you know, I think having conversations about um, ensuring that there's capacity available when and where you need it for a price that is, you know, somewhat predictable. Um, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, we're all business people, right? I mean, if the market goes through the roof, nobody expects truckers to leave money sitting on the table. But but at least if you've got a relationship, maybe, maybe the, the, you know, the conversation is, we're going to give you the best pricing that we can. And we're going to be transparent about it. And we're going to let you know so that you're not surprised by it. Um, right? The mm -hmm. other thing is, you know, having having been on both sides of this a little bit, um, there are a lot of shippers who actually do have specialized requirements, even though they, they don't realize it. Um, and whether that's, you know, around the, the dunnage or when it's when and where things need to be picked up and, and dropped off, you know, they want to be a commodity because they think they're going to get better pricing. But but the truth is, if if they develop a closer relationship with somebody that really gets to know their business, they might have to spend a little bit more on the transportation costs or accessorials. But but it actually may provide value some other way, right? Like scheduling it so that it aligns with their shifts, or or um, you know making sure that stuff is loaded and unloaded in a particular way at a particular location. So, you know, I think those those are probably the two that I would focus on is, you know, um, or maybe that's three. Transparency when prices are going to change and, and an assurance that, you know, you, you're going to pay something that's fair, right, even, even as the market moves. Um, two, availability and that you're going to get prioritized as a customer. So we're not going to stop your business because we can't find you a truck. And then the third one is really getting to know your business and, and being, being able to, to do things that help the business run more smoothly, even though that may cost a little bit more on the transportation side, it could save money, improve efficiency, really fit with some of the, the bigger supply chain goals uh, of your customer. So it's it's Christmas time. It's the holidays. We've had you know a crazy year. Everybody's kind of anxious to move into 2021. But I want to know you're 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 sort of famous for your factoids, your supply chain factoids. Can you give us your favorite holiday factoid that people should walk away from or walk away with? Yeah, I think Santa Claus is is really the master of supply chain management, and the one that that we should all. He, he's, he's got the super ability to get everything everywhere, in some cases overnight, 
and we never even have to think about, you know, just for the price of a couple of cookies and milk. <laughs> You're exactly bad. right. <laughs> You're exactly right. It's, it's going to be right there. Now, does Santa Claus do risk analysis on his supply chain? <laughs> uh, he did. I, you know, I, I, I don't know if you caught the news, but Dr. Fauci made sure that, that Santa Claus got his uh, vaccine. So that you know, right. he, he's ready and minimizing the, the risk from all the exposure he's going to have around the world. Maybe that can ex also explain why you always see commercials of Santa Claus that he will go to one house and then he just rides off in a sleigh and he doesn't actually hit the next few houses in a row. Can, how do we explain that from a supply chain perspective? It, 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 Amazon does exactly the same thing. They they drop something off at my house, they disappear, and then they show up 15 minutes later for my neighbors. <laughs> I've noticed that too. And there's, there's a constant churning of Amazon vans coming in and different drivers just hitting different different houses uh, throughout the day. Uh, why is that? Um. You, you know, it works. The, obviously, the, the focus is on response time, not on um, carbon footprint or fuel efficiency, <laughs> right? Um, so um, it, it, it's good in terms of transportation um, miles and, and employment for drivers. And, uh, you know, the, the, the truth is they, they get a lot of equipment utilization, but I, I think it's pretty obvious there's there's some opportunity for efficiency gains mm -hmm. there um, if if you if you weigh um, transportation costs more heavily than customer service but amazon doesn't amazon puts the the, the weight on customer service and and it's worked for them really well I guess you can kind of take those losses and, and until you can streamline or optimize a lot of those different processes. You mentioned in the book that you had to add an enormous amount of tech or, or a more enormous amount of text for tech. So tell us one of your, your favorite things that in, in the tech supply chain world that you're excited about when it comes to the book. Yeah, so I, I mentioned it earlier, supply chain control towers. Just uh, so supply chain control towers. I, I don't know. Supply chain Are control you... towers in the in, in the industry. Hmm. Um, it wasn't a software category. It was a project where we were sort of linking lots of different ERP systems with TMS systems and WMS. But what's I think Santa found him. <laughs> Santa probably found him and said, you're spilling too many secrets. I, it's, it's, it's probably right. You know, Santa probably did. I, I think we lost Mr. Supply Chain, uh, but that's okay. Let, let's give away his book right now. It's about to, uh, to, to have him pick a number between one and what was it? One and 113, one and 117. But uh, Blight, you have the honors now. I'll go 25 for, for the you know, Christmas day. Yeah, 25. That's a, a good good number. And my mouse doesn't work unless the book's under here. So let me <laughs> fly up here to 25. We have Brian Thompson. So, so Brian Hi. Thompson, you've won the second edition of the Supply Chain Management for Dummies by Mr. Supply Chain. So congratulations. We'll reach out to you and uh, get a good place to, uh, to send this 
via Amazon. So you, you might see an, yet another Amazon van roll by your house that day. Uh, they were actually yep. rolling through my neighborhood at 10 p.m. last night. All, all the new uh, all the new trucks that that look similarly to the UPS trucks that you see rolling through. I know it's it's been a it's it's been an even uh, busier year for for e-commerce than ever before, and you you see that in every neighborhood uh, across the nation. Really, is is FedEx, UPS, Amazon, uh, other providers out there that are you know making those late deliveries, uh, making sure that everything gets gets to to where we need where where it needs to be. Uh, certainly, it's it's been a big boom. Uh, for that, uh, because travel is is uh, is done. So we have about thirty seconds left. Blythe, any closing thoughts? I just want to say, you know, happy holidays, Merry Christmas to everybody that's watching. You know, thank you obviously for the support of the show. Um, th this is this has been a great experience, and hopefully everybody has some downtime. I, I agree, definitely. Happy holidays to everyone. Go out, eat a lot, spend a lot of time with loved ones, and we're out. I got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive to win these expenses. I got expensive to win these expenses. I've been getting out of work. And I've been shutting out the stars. Yeah. Cause when it rain and it pours. Yeah. And I'm ready for some more.